ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. They started out as a life-saving food source for stranded sailors. And now a unique group of island-dwelling goats is in need of their own rescue. Hello, I'm Callie Buchanan. As it turns out, that heritage as a tasty meal could be their saving grace, as Abby Halter reports. In the late 1800s, sailors navigating Queensland's coast faced a significant peril. Those attempting to sail the treacherous Great Barrier Reef without maps often found themselves stranded or wrecked. It was so common, some crews came up with a unique solution to abandon a dozen goats on an island 125 kilometres off the Mackay coast as an emergency food source. 150 years later, the Percy Island goats are still there. They were put on there um, for meat and milk for stranded sailors. And to this day, sailors still pull into West Bay and can go and kill a goat or have goat's milk or whatever. Diana Barfield from the Queensland Goat Producers Incorporated, or QGoat, says there are now thousands of goats living on the 2,000 hectare island, which is a heritage-listed national park. She says the isolation has created a breed that's not found anywhere else in the world. We had them DNA tested to prove that they weren't related to the Australian rangeland goats, which we have proven. Over 150 years in isolation, they have evolved to their own unique DNA code that is far removed from mainland goats. We're trying to save them from eradication off the island because once the genetic DNA is lost, it's gone forever. It's just amazing what they can do. Special little goat. Yes, very special. (laughs) Do they look any different or do they act any different to any other goat? Yeah, they do cycle a little bit differently and they are very, very family orientated. Quite often they have their own coloured families and they, they seem to stick to their own areas on the island and their own colours, which is quite, quite amusing. Despite their heritage breed status, under Queensland law, the goats are considered a restricted invasive species, which means they can be culled if numbers become a problem. So advocates have come up with a creative intervention to save them eating them. And true to their heritage as a food source, QGOAT member Louise Drew says they're perfect for eating and milking. We have slaughtered quite a few and used their meat. Their meat is a high quality. Um, We have a high meat to bone ratio, more so than the other breed. So a little uh, Percy Island goat, you'd probably dress out about 20 to 25 kilos, which is good for a small family to put in the freezer. <laughs> so we're trying to show people that they're worth something. Once an animal is worth something, it, people think they're worthwhile saving. And that's what we're about, about saving these uh, beautiful little animals. They're not bad little milkers. They can produce uh, uh, about two litres a day. Um, I've managed to get out of some of these little animals without really trying. I'm an ex-dairy goat breeder. We've been eating them for quite a few years so and I've tried all the different breeds of goats and I find these the tastiest. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) And they are rather cute. 
Catherine Radcliffe has spent 12 years living on Percy Island. She says the goats are an integral part of the history and tourism of the island. Percy Island is famous for the goat stews and the barbecues down at the beach, so that's how we utilise the animals that we control. And it's just marvellous that the herds that Diane and Louise have are really starting to be recognised as an important food source by the wide population. Katrina Drew, Louise Drew's daughter, is incorporating Percy Island goats into the menu at her cafe just north of Bukai. She says there's a noticeable difference in taste between regular goats and those from the island. Because I was born and bred with goats and we ate goat quite a bit um, as, as, as children and I do think that that is there definitely seems to be a bit more leanness to it. It doesn't seem to be as fatty and the meat doesn't seem to be as strong as well like the fat doesn't seem to be because the fat usually is where they hold a lot more of that stronger taste stronger flavor to it and they do have a lot more of a darker meat in a way one of the reasons why we actually wanted I wanted to bring it in into the cafe not just for the cafe side of things but actually to uh, celebrate the the goats themselves because they are completely unique to any other breed, their this hardiness and their personalities, just to have something a bit different, something that is local, and and also promoting it so that people understand what's actually happened in the past and why it's um, been that way, why the Percys were put on the island, and also sort of why we've sort of DNA tested them because they are so unique. I think it's great, especially for adding it into the Indonesian and um, Indian and African communities, they do use goat a lot, and at least now that they can be accessible for the local community. Yep, that's my microphone. (laughs) From remote island-dwelling goats to a remote station goat musterer, 24-year-old Ruby Buchanan, no relation, is a bit of a rare breed herself. Following her passions in both agriculture and law, she's building two careers on a remote sheep and goat station, as she explains to Lily McCure. I was at uni in Armadale, University of New England. I was kind, and we'd just gone through COVID the past two years and was kind of getting a bit restless <laughs> at uni and was looking for to get back into station work. So I started over at Rollinner Station in WA for Jumbuck Pastoral when I was 18. I took two gap years over there. Yeah, then I had to go to uni because <laughs> I had to educate myself. And yeah, and so I wanted to earn some more money, get back into it. And I had a friend, well, my dad had a friend who was an investor in a station in Menindee. So yeah, that was how I came to the far west. 24-year-old Ruby Buchanan is juggling the demands of not one career, but two. She's following her passion for law alongside running a contract mustering business on sheep and goat stations in the far west of New South Wales. Since starting her business, she's been slowly building up contacts and regular work. I literally just cold called people. (laughs) It's pretty embarrassing. And just like sent emails... Facebook, on the mustering page, like 
and then just literally just try just any job I could get I just took and now it's really fun and it's now that I'm a bit more established. And what were people's first impressions when you'd rock up to their station and tell them your experience and I guess your background? Well every time that I rock up to a station a new place that I haven't worked at everyone thinks I'm a backpacker who has no idea because I um also I wear like a lot of jewelry and like I wear pink and I talk probably a bit different to everyone else. Hello I'm Lily McEwer. I've caught up with Ruby at Marapina station about two hours north of Broken Hill where she's chatting to me during a break from yarding sheep. Getting from A to B in remote areas like this can be a challenge. With limited places to stop for fuel and patchy mobile signal Ensuring you're prepared is critical. Ruby is getting by with the basics. So I have a 1999 RAV4 that is green. It has no aircon and we're in the heat of summer right now, so it's shocking to drive. And then I have my two dogs, my two Kelpies, Holler and Smiley, in the back seat. So they take the back seat and then I cram my swag and my clothes in the, in the little boot. I have a 6x4, which I got off Marketplace, and I have my motorbike on there, and then we just drive around in that, and it's not ideal. When you first rock up and they, you haven't worked for them, like they're like, whoa, and they'll probably put you down a peg, maybe in their mind, but literally, I think you just have to push through that for the first day. Forging a path in both industries, Ruby says it hasn't all been easy trying to meet university deadlines while ensuring she is keeping her employers happy. She says that she's learned to be extra organised while ensuring she is open and honest with her employers and teachers. Sometimes it's really stressful because I'm like trying to kind of make a path in both of these areas because I'm so passionate in both of them. So I want to give like quite a lot to both. And I don't want to say no to, to mustering jobs and I don't want to, you know, put my studies on the back burner either. And even volunteering at the ALS, like that is, like finding time to, to do that is near impossible as well. And I just kind of plan ahead. I have my Google calendar and I really plan ahead, like when I have my assignments due, um, when I have my exams. And I just really make sure that I don't book work around those dates which means that usually everything's quite back-to-back, -back. like it might be finishing a job and then finishing an assignment like the next day, racing back to town to get it in. But then, you know, if things don't align and something does pop up that I need to either go to a job or I need to do an assignment that somehow it has escaped my mind, all the stations I work at, they know that I'm studying law and they're all, like I'm very upfront about it. I always say that that kind of is something that I have to prioritise at times. I would say all of them give me the time when I, when I need it to do my assignments and they're super understanding and I think that they all kind of believe it'll all come back around to them too like I'll be able to help them out you know they're helping me out now. Have you come across people that have been really surprised by you juggling a law degree and then mustering? Yes literally every person that I meet is like what? Everyone is so taken back when I say that I'm studying law and it's a, such a question of like well why why are you mustering and working on stations and why what is the overlap there and the overlap literally is that I my passion like I love both of them so much and I don't want to stop doing either. Do you think that in the future you'll be able to keep working in both industries? Uh, yeah definitely so I well like long term I want to like live on a station and own a station one day and 
I think that what's becoming apparent as I'm getting older, the way, the only way that really you, that someone who wasn't born on a station, born into it, can kind of achieve it is by like going out and ha- and having to earn reasonable amount of money to do that. And I think my other passion, like being law, if that is the way that I can get to help people and own a station and well then that's kind of something that I'm willing to compromise on and if I eventually can get there. While some may think mustering combined with a law degree is somewhat unusual, Ruby says that there is certainly a crossover when it comes to the skills she's acquired. In terms of like those kind of traits like being adaptable, like I'm super adaptable now because I just have to go to a new station and just be able to be friends with people of of all backgrounds and ages and you know views and things like that. I'm good at planning now which has kind of had to happen and being organized which is hopefully going to help me. I, I, I honestly think like the biggest thing is literally like being able to kind of like find ways to relate to people on like all different levels because yeah like I said everyone that I meet is just from they're all from such different walks of life like and you just have to be able to live live and work with them and sometimes you're spending you know two three weeks in close quarters like you're all using the same showers and and eating dinner together every night and everything like that and so you just literally have to get along with everyone and so I think that that kind of put me in a good position in terms of getting along with clients because I really feel like I can relate to almost anyone at this point.